to the Come Follow Him podcast. This podcast is created by the Boise Nampa Institute of Religion for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Here, we hope to help young adults find relevant principles each week as they study the assigned Come Follow Me scripture block as outlined by the church. This episode is simply two institute teachers talking about what they see in the scriptures that might be relevant to your life. It is not intended to speak for the church or to definitively define doctrines or policies. Any opinions shared here are just that, our opinions, as we have learned to come follow Him. I'm your host, Matt Swenson. Let's jump in. everybody it's good to be with you welcome uh, brother Lyons Woo-hoo. how are you uh, it's it's uh, good to have you back uh, for those that uh, remember brother Lyons from last uh, uh, the, in the when we we're covering the Old Testament uh, brother Lyons is fantastic and, and this is gonna be a great uh, a great show today so welcome just keep those compliments flowing that's yeah. why I come here man. I know right I'm just sitting here <laughs> just feel good about myself it's Friday afternoon well, life know. is so good <laughs> I do what I can um, well, it's good to, good to have you, um, and I think, you know, we've introduced you in the past. Is there anything new in your life you want to share? Uh, my little baby. I, got, I had a little baby last, last time, time, I, I think, think yeah. right? Yeah. Yep, Just so barely. they're super cute. Yep. Daughter's super cute. I'm like, seriously, for anyone listening, I just, I love my kids. Yeah. They're the best. Kids are good. Uh, just as a reminder, uh, Brother Lyons does the uh, pre-service program here uh, yeah. for the institutes, and actually for most of the, uh, I don't know, world. Are you the Are you the world's guy now? <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, no. So if you have an interest in teaching seminary, if uh, and, and honestly, maybe it's better said. I mean, we'll actually uh, talk about this a little bit later on too. But if you have an interest in connecting with and mentoring youth and helping them become more converted to Jesus Christ, then I'm your guy to talk to. In any way, in any calling, in any, yeah. 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 Um, specifically, your your objective, hopefully, is to help get the right people in front of the seminary institute students. Exactly. Right? But, um, uh, and 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 uh, I think, uh, and that's more than just our valley, right? We've got listeners all over the country. So how far can, how far away can they live and call you as the, yeah. as a guy? So if you're more than 90 minutes away from a, pre-service center. So basically, if you don't live in Arizona, Utah, or Idaho, You're, then then you can also call me because we do have a distant uh, pre-service and you're, you're over program. That. That I'm, and I'm over that. Yep. Yeah. Me and another guy, Eric Christensen, over in Eastern Idaho. And so uh, I actually start uh, my next distant class this Wednesday, uh, February 1st. And we, we jump on Zoom. And there's some cameras involved. And it's really, it's really amazing, actually. It's a miracle how technology is able to um, help us find the best teachers no matter where yeah. they are. Yeah, that's really great. So if you're the listener out in Kentucky that we've got, uh, <laughs> feel free to call in and uh, and connect with Brother, Brother Lyons. Here. Yeah. Well, good. Let's jump in. We're uh, uh, one more little plug, really quick. Um, we we've created a Facebook page uh, for those of you that are out there and just want to find a a place to connect with other people. Um, we haven't really pushed it a lot, but but uh, if you're out there and you want to jump on Facebook, give us thoughts, give us feedback. Correct us when we're wrong, because I'm sure we're wrong all the <laughs> yeah. time. Um, but uh, if you want to go to um, come f- the Come Follow Him Facebook group is what it's called. If you just search that in a Facebook uh, uh, search engine, you, you can find it, the Come Follow Him Facebook group. So with that, we're, we're in. Uh, this week, we're covering John chapter 2, 3, and 4. Um, and Brother Lyons, I'm just going to turn it over to you. Tell us where you want us to start. Well, I have a confession to start, actually. Okay, okay. I, yeah, I mean, I hope my wife's listening because 
when she checks my browser history the last week, she's going to find a lot of searches related to wine. And she's uh. going to start wondering, um, <laughs> what? why are you looking up the most expensive <laughs> bottles of wine? And, Valentine's Day. And yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we do live the word of wisdom, and I do not consume alcohol. And yet my browser history might suggest something different That's than that. But, but in John chapter 2, we're in this... Uh, we're, the first miracle that yeah. Jesus ever ever performs that's at least recorded um, in the in the four gospels and and he's at a wedding and, uh, and well it's actually interesting John two three and four we um, you and I were just talking about how much we love the chosen yeah and um, we just wanted to acknowledge I guess at, at the front like uh, we're we love that we're not going to reference the chosen because there's uh, while we love it for a lot of reasons we're going to stick to the you know, what's, what is... Yeah, scriptural counts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, so anyway, they're in this wedding and we have this interaction um, between Jesus and his mom. Mm-hmm. Basically, uh, they're the hosts of the wedding are about to run out of wine, which we understand culturally is a major embarrassment. I yeah. mean, just this is, this is like, you know, I mean, just, yeah, bad 101. Yeah. And so Mary comes to Jesus and says, hey, hey, can you... You know, like, I know what you can do. You know what you can do. Can you get us some wine here, yeah, right? Yeah. And um, and in verse four, Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what I have to do with thee, mine hour is not yet come. And the Joseph Smith translation actually adds a lot to that. Right. Woman, what wilt thou have me do for thee? That will I do for mine hour is not yet come. And, yeah. and that phrase woman, of course, in our culture might sound a little harsh or yeah. disrespectful. Woman? What what do you want? Yeah, it's not how you talk to your mom. Yeah, uh, so, guys out there, that's just not. Yeah, a, yeah, that's don't, yeah. Don't, uh, <laughs> well, Jesus, yeah, no, that's. Uh, and obviously, we know, like, of course, like, think, think, consider everything you know about the Savior and words you would use to describe him. And obviously, disrespectful is not on that yeah, list. No, not at all. But at the time, that was a, a term of endearment. Well, and I, I looked it up in Greek, and the Greek in uh, the Greek word could have been uh, translated in either as woman or madam. So that would have been maybe a more respectful way to do that yeah. and write that down, but but it's just a translation issue probably. Yeah. So anyway, um, he he turns basically what's the equivalent of uh, in verse six says, and there were set there are six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. And so, um, without getting into all the math of what a firkin is and all that, we basically have one hundred to one hundred sixty gallons. Of, of liquid that yeah. he has them filled with water and he ends up turning into wine. 160 gallons. Yeah, okay. yeah, it's a, a lot, lot. of gallons. Yeah, a it's lot. a lot of wine. Yeah. And a lot of water, yeah. let alone a lot of wine. And so I just, in my research, I was just looking up, you know, what? how much does a quality bottle of wine cost okay. today? That's right. We know, like. You don't just default know that? Yeah, I know, yeah, weird. <laughs> I know, that crazy. I have to look that up. But, um, and and later in this story, we learn that this ends up being the most quality wine that they that they have yeah. um, at the wedding. And anyway, bottom line, when you take the average, you know, a quality bottle of wine costs thirty five dollars and is about a fifth of a gallon, so that's one hundred seventy five dollars per gallon. And there's about a hundred to one hundred sixty gallons of wine here uh, today. That high of quality of wine. Would be about seventeen to twenty eight thousand dollars. So wow. Jesus kind of gives this <laughs> yeah. pretty substantial wedding gift, and right. and obviously there's, I mean, someone in finance w- might balk at that sure. a little bit, but by regardless of what the actual figure is, I think I think that there's a lesson here, um, a few lessons actually that we can learn from the Savior. Yeah, 
Yeah. You know, it, it, this is an interesting story, and, and it might be fairly well known, but, but, but back in the day when they would have these, uh, these wedding parties, they were mm -hmm. days long. Yeah. And, uh, and, the, and the idea over the course of the experience was you give the best uh, wine out first, the, mm -hmm. the, the stuff you spent the money on. Yeah. Because by the time you're five days in drinking the same thing, you kind of don't care what you're drinking. It's just liquid at that point, right? <laughs> and I don't know how drunk they were getting or, you know. But yeah, yeah. If you're drunk, it doesn't really matter what you're drinking. You and just and that's drinking, the right? philosophie behind that right. practice. Yeah. And so, so to at the end of this wedding, to give you know what the, what the and maybe you're going to get there and I'm, maybe I'm I'm You'll go there man. I'm moving go there. ahead um, <clears throat> verse 9 when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine he knew not whence it was he didn't know where it came from the governor the governor of the feast called the bridegroom and said unto him every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine we we usually put the best stuff out front uh, and when men have swelled drunk or are like slammed mm -hmm. uh, then that which is worse but thou hast kept the good wine until now this beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee. So you kept the best stuff until the end. Good on you. Like the governor calls this guy in. He's like, you are awesome. You've given the best stuff out at the end and good for you, right? And uh, I, I think it's, I just think it's cool to see that the Savior uh, didn't just make something that could work. Mm -hmm. He made the best, right? I don't know if the Savior could have made anything but the best, really. Yeah. Right? And I think I think I love this lesson, um, and we'll probably spend a few more minutes talking about this. But I connected it to Alma chapter thirty-four, okay. when Amalek is teaching, and he says, "Cry, uh, cry unto him, cry unto our Father over the crops of your fields that you may prosper in them. Cry over the flocks of your fields that they may increase." In addition to a lot of other things, right? Mm -hmm. He says, "You know, pray for your spiritual yeah, welfare." It's a list of stuff in here, right? And and as, as I read this story about Jesus um, turning water to wine and kind of where it began, right? It begins with uh, something that you might even concern, consider vain, right? Yeah, like, sure. like who, okay, really at the end of the day, like, does it matter if we right. have wine on the last day of the wedding? Right, like, yeah. are we, we going to die? Yeah. You know, is <laughs> right. this something so serious? And, and I find myself in my own prayers sometimes, you know, as life gets stressful with finances or, or with relationships, um, when I find myself praying for the outcome of a sporting event, even yeah. I mean, you know, I right? just yeah. sometimes in my heart I just think, like, gosh, like, am I allowed to pray for this? You know, like, <laughs> it just feels I just feel yeah, so feels you know, entrenched in my own vanity yeah. to be praying for these things that might seemingly be selfish. And yeah. one of the lessons that I not only learned from this story but also from my life experience is that that God really loves us unconditionally. He He wants us to have joy, um, and He. He wants us to to be happy. Like he yeah. he wants to bless us in things that even we may consider vain. Yeah. He loves us so much. He wants to bless us with even those little things. Yeah, that's well said. I, I love the idea that God asks us to pray about everything. Yeah. Right? Knowing that the answers we get will often not be the thing we want, right? Yeah. But but why? Why why does he ask us to pray about everything, the football game or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. The sporting event that we're interested in. It, knowing that the outcome is not based solely on my prayer, mm -hmm. but but what does it teach us? It teaches me that you know when the outcome isn't the right way, or the way I want, um, that that I need to recognize that Heavenly Father has a purpose for even the sporting game going awry for you, right? Mm -hmm. That that the emotion you have at the end of that is something you're supposed to work through and learn about, and but that you can give credit to Heavenly Father even in the negative that goes on in your life. That that even in that, that's an answer to a prayer. 
in a way that if we look at it correctly, we can learn and grow and become more than we were before, right? Uh, rather than saying, well, God didn't answer that prayer. Well, yeah, he did. He just answered it for the other team. Yeah. Right? And so now you have to learn to be a good sport about how you, yeah. t- right? And so so the, the prayer was answered based on the way I should have had the prayer answered based on God's perspective of my whole existence, right? Yeah, and Matt, I, I really loved what you said because I think it gets at the heart of this miracle. Um, what begins with, you know, this prayer that may seem like vanity, you know, um, ends up ultimately transforming uh, water to wine, but I think teaches a larger lesson about us transforming. You yeah. know, and, and when you are praying about that football game and and your team doesn't win or whatever, as we continue to turn to the Savior in those those little things or in the big things in life, He transforms our hearts. And I, I want to go to, uh, if we can go to verse, um, verse 7. Okay. So, so this is back up in the story a little bit, right? Yep. 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 So, um, well, actually, verse five. Okay. So his mother says to the servants, whatever Jesus says for you to do, you just listen to him. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. So we're there. That, we like, should just all, that's a principle in life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just keep that one on the top <laughs> yeah, of the list. Remember right? that one. Remember that one. <laughs> and so they get the water pots. And in verse seven, Jesus says to them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And then he mm-hmm. said unto them, draw out now. And bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it. Hmm. And you just, like, you can imagine maybe the fear of this servant, yeah. right? Going to the governor of the feast with what they make think is water. That they had just filled with water. Yeah, yeah, they just, yeah. yeah. And now he's saying, go give it to the governor. And he's like, this guy's going to spit this in my face. <laughs> this is, <laughs> right. right? And yeah. um, and just that faith that these servants have to go and draw it out now. Um, I linked uh, draw it out. There's a talk that... Um, Elder Holland gave about repentance called How to Change. Hmm. And this is uh, what he said. He said, if there is one lament I cannot abide, it is the poor, pitiful, withered cry. Well, that's just the way I am. Hmm. If you want to talk about discouraging attitudes, that is one that discourages me. Please spare me the speeches about you, about that's just the way I am. I've heard that from too many people who wanted to sin and call it psychology. And I use the word sin to cover a vast range of habits, Hmm. which bring discouragement and doubt and despair. You can change anything you want to change, and you can do it very fast. It is another satanic falsehood to believe that it takes years and years and eons of eternity to repent. It takes exactly as long to repent as it takes you to say, I'll change (laughs) and mean it. (laughs) And I I just love, obviously, everyone, I love Elder Holland's boldness, right? right? But I just, one of my favorite lessons from this story is that just like he can transform water to wine, he can transform our souls yeah. into more disciple-like, Christ-like people. Yeah, it's the enabling power of the atonement, right? That allows yeah. for him to, well, and, and really it's his ability to command the elements yeah. in you and I, right? If, if we're really wanting his help to help us overcome. The, I, love the, I love the message from Elder Holland there that repentance takes as long as it is to say, hey, I'm sorry and I want to change, yeah. right? That's literally it. The, the process to change maybe takes a little longer mm-hmm. um, for some of us, but, but uh, and, and depending on what the thing is, right, it might, may take longer. But that's where the application of the, the enabling power of the atonement, the, the power that makes me capable beyond what I'm naturally capable of. And there's something here too, right, that, that the elements, we, we talked a little bit about making the best wine, right? Yeah. The elements, I think, were incapable of being made less than the best, 
right? Mm. Because if, if the Savior commands you to be wine, yeah. there is no higher command that they that the elements could have received to right. become the best wine, right? Yeah. And so if if that's the invitation from the Savior is to be perfected in Him, right? Or yeah. or um, or to overcome this trial or that challenge or whatever, there is no there is no lesser ability that we can accomplish but to become perfect in it yeah. eventually right right and so if that's the invitation from the savior is to become whatever the invitation is mm -hmm. we have the ability to become perfect in it because yeah. it's he's commanding our elements and the, the things we're made up with well um, said. maybe one other thing just connected in here um it, it, and maybe it's a sideways looking at this story but but uh you know this is the very first thing that the savior does as a result of uh years and years and years of living with his mom Right, mm -hmm. and it, it, there's a lot of faith that goes in here. Um, you you can see the faith in in his mom, probably having seen the Savior do things at home right. that were like miraculous things, or just the way he was. Right? How how mm -hmm. can I? And then he says, "How can I help, Mom?" She obviously knew he could have done something to fix the problem. Yeah. Um, but but there's also some faith in that the the servants when they went and filled the water up. I mean, they're filling these barrels up. If it's me, I'm like, I'm not wasting my time filling 160 gallons of water. Yeah. All right. And I'm not filling them to the brim. I'm like half full. I'm like, okay, I put water in. What do you need? Yeah. Right. Like I, I there's some faith going on here um, that that they're willing to do what's being asked of them. Right. Right. And, and the Savior is willing to do what's being asked of him. And I think maybe there's a lesson there, too. When Christ's mother asks him to help him, he does everything to the fullest, to the best of his ability to help his mom. And I wonder sometimes if the message to this story is as much as it is all the things you've already shared, right? Mm -hmm. I wonder if the message also could be, are we giving our family everything we have? Yeah. Do we give them just enough to like, yeah, okay, mom, I gave you some wine. It's kind of the bottom of the barrel wine. Yeah. It's the box wine. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, here it is for you, right? And if our boss asks for something else, I give him, I give him the best stuff, right? Yeah. Do we give our family everything we can? Do we give them the fullness of our capacity? Right. Um, and the Savior did, he, and he loved his mom and and wanted to help her. And I don't know what her role in this event was, right? She, it just says she was there, she was yeah. present. Um, and, and obviously behind the scenes, she was aware of what was going on and wanted mm -hmm. that to be successful for whoever it was that mm -hmm. was being married. And it mattered to his mom. Yeah. Do we do the best we can for our family when it matters to our family? I think there's a lesson there. And, and I don't know the answer. I, I know I don't. I know my, for me personally, I, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm tired when I'm home. Yeah. Right. And I, and I give what I need to, but, yeah. uh, but man, the savior just constantly gave everything he had. I love it. You know, as you were saying that, I was thinking of an experience I could share about how the Savior's transformed me. When, you know, I, I get home or whatever, I don't want to give the best. And and it's not just one, it's like every day. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like right. that, yeah. I have experience. It's not like once Savior. a week. Because, yeah, I mean, I, and I, it sounds like you, you might have a similar situation every once in a while at least. But I feel like, you know, um, when I leave home and then I go to work and then, uh, I come back and I'm just like exhausted from that day. Yeah. But then like I walk through the door and it's like my day's not over, right? right it's like yeah. like like you said, what should be the most important thing right. is now at the forefront and I have less energy for it. Yeah. And I just have such a testimony of Jesus's power to transform mm -hmm. us because there have been so innumerable times that in prayer I've I've begged him and, and pleaded with him to 
to help me have the energy to be yeah. who he needs me to be. Yeah. And, and it's changed me. He's yeah. transformed me. Yeah, that's really cool. I, uh, my, probably the thing that hurts my heart the most um, is regularly, um, and, and I say regularly, and it probably is monthly, the, mm -hmm. this thought or maybe even an invitation comes from my good wife who knows what I'm able to do and sees what I'm actually doing at home. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and, and, and the comment is, right, that is, do you feel like you, you burn out on your job? helping the youth and young adults and so you don't have enough when you get home to help the youth that live in your home and the answer is yeah I, I think sometimes we do that we we go to we go outside of our homes we give everything we have and, and I think for a young person right a young adult maybe li listening to this if you're in school and you get an assignment you do everything you can to get an A on the assignment and then on Sunday and you're calling and it's maybe it's just the bare minimums to mm -hmm. fulfill the assignment, right? And, and so I think there's a message there. I, I don't know what I don't know how directly it relates to each of us individually, but but I know for me, it, if I uh, was more willing to give a hundred percent at home, I think the Lord would. Maybe I need to flip it. Maybe I need to be willing to give that first, and then the Lord would strengthen me to give more in the other places that I that I've run out of energy in. Yeah. Right. Maybe that's the right way to go. Yeah. yeah. So love it. This no, is great. Yeah. So there's good. so much here. Where else should we go? I'll follow your lead, Matt. Man, uh, he, he, right after this, he attends the Passover. He's cleaning the temple out, Yeah, right? Chapter two, we're still in chapter two. Um, and, and there's so much we could talk about in, in cleaning the temple. Um, the temple, I think um, the temple has just been completed or is it still in construction? I don't, I don't remember that. But there's some aspects of the temple that are being, um, being, being utilized. Um, and, uh, you know, the, this, the statement that I think stands out to me, and, and if there's stuff you want to back up to, feel free, but, um, the, uh, the Jews say to him, what sign showest thou us seeing that thou doest these things? You cleanse the temple. Mm -hmm. And, uh, Jesus answered and said unto them, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. And then said the Jews, 40 and six years was this temple in building. And they, they kind of just finished it, I think. Yeah. And wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. And I don't know that he, he described that to them, that three right. days later I'm going to do this. So anyway, there's, there's something about cleansing the physical temple that led him to this conversation about I'm going to be resurrected and I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to save the physical body. Yeah, um, and and I don't know. I don't know. There's much time to spend there, but but I just think that's a, a, a kind of a cool connection. Agreed. That he yeah. makes at the end of that. And I think it just John two through four. I just noticed this theme of transformation, kind yeah. of like you know we alluded to earlier, right? Transforming yeah. water to wine, transforming the the you know dirty temple to cleanse temple, right? right? Yeah. Transforming death to life. Yeah. We'll talk more about transformation in John three and in John four and. I just have such a strong, and you know, you and I were talking about just our personal lives and how Jesus Christ, like he really can transform us. Like you don't, we don't have to be too tired. We don't have to be too bogged down. We don't have to, yeah. we don't have to be these things because through the power of the atonement of Jesus Christ, we can, he can change our hearts. Yeah. He can strengthen us yeah. through his grace. And it's just, it's amazing. Yeah, that's really great. And, and I think it's important to note that what he was cleansing out of the temple wasn't bad stuff. Right, it was maybe the placement of it was was sure. what was wrong. Right, um, backing up into this, he uh, 
found in the temple in verse 14, those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and changers of money. Well, well why? why? Why are those things there, right? Well, those are the things that they were sacrificing, right? Mm -hmm. And so what they had done over time is they'd said, well, these are the sacrifices we need in the temple, so why don't we just move the storefront into the temple, and yeah. that's super easy, right? And, um, and I think that the money changers being people who take one set of uh, money, currency, currency, one type, and, and the temple currency. Right, yeah, yeah, they're just converting it over, right? Um, and so it's not necessarily that, that it was bad, but their intention was to make money in the temple. Yeah. As opposed to, let's set up outside the temple, let the temple be its thing. Right. Right, that's really the, the idea. And so the, the idea that you shared that, that we need to um, be transformed, what things are in us that are good but are misplaced. Well right? said. What, yeah. what things do we have that are good that are but that are a little misplaced? Um, I can think of a handful of things that you know that I have in my brain. I do this for a good reason, but I also benefit from it in a way that you know. Right. Maybe I don't even say anything about. It. I just I know I also benefit from that, so I'm willing to show that I'm willing to do it. Right. Sure. So there's something there too. Yeah. Something there. So that's two. Chapter two. Chapter two. Anything else there? No. Let's move on. Okay. Into three. Nicodemus. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Th this is this is where we started talking about the the uh, chosen, right? Yeah. When we yeah, were talking yeah. before we started recording, uh, I love the chosen, and I think Nicodemus's experience with uh, mm -hmm. with the Savior and the way they portrayed that is is maybe my favorite of all. Yeah, the, your favorite scene of yeah, all that. Of yeah, all of it. sure. And, and and I'll say, um, and then qualify what we said before um i'll say the reason is and maybe the chosen as a whole is teaching us this that the savior was a person right and he saw us he saw people and he got them and he understood them and he and he joked with them and he you know he had he was a human you know in in a lot of ways the way he interacted was very much like you and i and i remember in the in the chosen's portrayal of nicodemus there's this moment where nicodemus um the savior invites him to kind of follow him, which isn't scriptural. It's not here, right? And yeah, that's one of the yeah. reasons why we're, you know. Yeah. But but the portrayal is uh, Jesus invites him to follow him. And and then Nicodemus, like, and I can't remember if he goes through it exactly, all the reasons why, or he just kind of hymns and haws about, mm -hmm. I can't do that. And it's because he's old. He's got a wife that has some expectations on him. He's got a family to adhere to. He's, the, the scriptures say he's in the Sanhedrin, right? So he's mm -hmm. a significant figure in the community. And the way that this, they portray the Savior looking at him and, and just, you can see it in his face that he just understands. Yeah. He gets why he's not going to lead, he's not going to follow him, right? Um, and, and not in a, any kind of a judging way. It's just like, oh, I, I get you. I understand. Mm -hmm. This is hard for you. And I think all of that will play into Nicodemus' equation someday, right? Where right. during whatever judgment that looks like, you know, there's, yeah, you, this was a hard thing. And, and we get that. He understands them. Then the next scene is, you know, Nicodemus leaving some money for them to be able to be successful on their journey, mm -hmm. which again, isn't scriptural, right? But mm -hmm. again, portrays him as a, a person who really wanted to transform his life, but was struggling to, to find a way to do that that didn't just totally upturn everything. Yeah. One of my favorite things about John 3 is uh, verse seven yeah. and eight. And, you know, we've been talking about transformation this whole time. And I think that sometimes, I know that I sometimes just feel, I can start to feel like just a little bit of sadness. And um, gosh, I don't, 
it's just, I don't feel like I measure up. Yeah. You know what I mean? I look around me at all these amazing people who are doing amazing things with their lives. And it's just like, well, <laughs> like, why isn't Jesus transforming me? Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I've got, like, I'm still tired when I come home from work or, yeah. or I still have all these other stresses and, and all these other issues in my life that just don't seem to be going away. And, and I just love these verses because in this conversation about being reborn, yeah. right? So in verse five, right. it says, except a man be born of water and the spirit cannot enter the kingdom of God. Like this idea of being born again. Hmm. Um, he says uh, in verse seven, marvel not that I said anything, you must be born again. And then in verse eight, the wind bloweth where it listeth and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh hmm. and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the spirit. Hmm. And so when we talk about this transformation through the atonement of Jesus Christ, I don't know that we always know it's happening in the moment. Mm. So like, you know, for you listeners, we're in Matt's office right now. So there's a window outside and a big tree. And unfortunately, it's not windy today. Otherwise, this would be a much better conversation. But like when you're inside and you're looking out a window, um, you don't hear the wind. You don't, well, maybe yeah. you hear it, but you don't see the wind. You certainly don't see the wind. Yeah. You don't feel the wind right. even, yeah. but you look outside of the tree and you can see it's moving. Yeah. So you don't see the wind, you don't hear it, right? you don't feel it, but you can see that the wind is transforming mm -hmm. the thing, the elements that- It's influencing. It's the influencing things the things around it. That's, yeah. that's actually a better word there, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think it's the same way with our transformation as, as Christ transforms us to be more Christ-like disciples is sometimes I think when I, when I get discouraged about my progress or my- you know, coming close to the Savior, it's very helpful to like take a look back mm. and and just look at where I've come from. Yeah. Because the change that he makes in us is so small and incremental that if you know if we're looking back just a day or a week or or in, you know stuck in the moment, yeah. Yeah, there there might be cause for distress or despair because because that's not how it works. It's it's very rare that we have these Alma the younger experiences, sure. so to speak, right? Yeah. But but I know that anyone who is faithfully following Jesus Christ can look back on their life and see, wow, even even the times that maybe I wasn't following him as close as I would have liked, yeah. as I've turned to him now, these have all been defining moments, little by little, that have helped me become more of who my Heavenly Father wants. Yeah, me that's really cool. I love that. I love that reference to wind being that transformative thing that that I have to look for, right? And I think that's where President Nelson has invited us to look for the miracles of the Savior in our life. Well said. Right? Yeah. If we don't, if we don't look for them, and because they are going to happen like wind, right? They're going to blow right by us, and unless I'm looking for it affecting the things in front of me, I'm not going to see it. I might feel it on my own face when it hits mm -hmm. me. When mm -hmm. a miracle happens to me, I'm going to yeah. feel it, right? But if I'm just looking for the miracles around me, I have to look up and I have to see the movement and then I have to say, that was God. Yeah. And I have to give credit to God. And then I'm going to start seeing more and more and bigger and bigger, right? And and I think that uh, I think that the Savior's invitation to Nicodemus to be born again is really that. You know, be converted and, and understand that you're going to start seeing more in this wind yeah. kind of experience. Uh, I love Nicodemus and there's we, we could spend so long on him, but there's so much else in these chapters I want to get to. But um, maybe just... A, a thought on him. We don't really know how he takes this conversation. Mm -hmm. um, there's some evidences by the time we get to John chapter 7, and it's just a passing kind of experience, so I don't think we're going to talk about it then, um, <clears throat> where the officers and the chief priests and Pharisees are talking, and, and they're like, why aren't, why aren't we arresting this guy? Right, and and their response is, well, the, he nobody speaks like this. Like this is like, he's not like 
breaking laws. So, and then they get to Nicodemus and Nicodemus says, we can't arrest him if we haven't found him guilty of anything. It's not how we do things. Verse uh, 50, Nicodemus saith unto him, uh, doth our law judge any man um, before it hear him and know what he doeth? Like, we, we, can't, we can't just go arrest him. So I, I don't know how to read that beyond Nicodemus is still with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and he's talking about the Savior. But then there's maybe a glimmer mm -hmm. um, in chapter 19 uh, once uh, Christ has been crucified. Um, verse 39, there also came Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. So he, Generous he, gift. Yeah, he comes at least at Christ's death and recognizes him on some level. Yeah. And I would, I, I'm going to say he got him. He understood him and he- and, I'll make and, that assumption also right? with you, Matt. With, yeah. that, with that being the, the last thing we really know about Nicodemus, I, I just feel like he understood. And again, maybe, maybe the Chosen's description is, is good. That, that, you know, he, he maybe in life had a hard time showing it fully. Mm -hmm. um, but at least in his heart, it seems like he had been transformed enough to make a pretty generous gift at his, at his death. So Yeah, well said. Love that. Love that. Thank you. What else in chapter three should we look at? Uh, you know, there's so much good. I mean, uh, verses 14 through, you know, oh, yeah. through 17 are just some of the most famous verses. Yeah, John 3.16 is probably the most famous of all. Yeah, of all the verses, right? right? Yeah, thank yeah. you, Tim Tebow. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I didn't say that out of, out no, of any yeah. disrespect or anything, yeah. but like truly, yeah, yeah God I thought that was so world. cool that he would right. do that. Yeah, yeah. Put the scripture on his, yeah, on the tape sure. on it during his football games. But, um, but yeah, just a lot, a lot more about that transformation. And, uh, and it, I think it kind of gives like that, I guess the motive behind the transformation, right? Yeah. In case, in case there is a, ever a feeling like, well, why, why does God have to change me? Well, it's yeah. not about, well, it is about changing you. It's not. It's not because you're not good enough. Like you're not worthy enough. It's not because he doesn't love you enough. In fact, in verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should ha not perish, but have everlasting life. Yeah. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And I, I think in synonym for saved, we might put there as changed or transformed, yeah. right? Yeah, Salvation is, is less about, you know, getting to a certain place, Mm. Uh, at the end of our life and more about becoming and learning to be ready for that place. And not even, not even becoming, yeah, it's interesting because when you were reading 16, I thought it's interesting that it doesn't say God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever becomes like him, right? It, that's not it. It's, mm -hmm. it, it. Ultimately, that's our objective, right? To become yeah. like him and through the atonement we can. But the objective is to believe on him because in this life we can't become like him. Yeah, and so ultimately, in in the grand scheme, the perspective is you're gonna get there as long as you believe on him. He'll help you get through, right? I, I love the I love the the verses that you reference fourteen and fifteen, right? Through clear mm -hmm. through seventeen, but fourteen and fifteen talk about Moses lifting up the the serpent in the wilderness um, that the that the people had to look at to be saved, right? That it was that simple. It wasn't that you have to go make your own brass serpent. It wasn't yep. you have to become a brass serpent. It was. Just look mm -hmm. and believe that this yeah. is going to heal you, right? Yeah. Um, and, and, and even so, must the Son of Man be lifted up, that we could look on him, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's a, it's a, it was a, uh, you know, the, a precursor to Christ's atonement. It was, it was yeah. helping us understand how that, how that works in our lives. And again, I'd, I'd say this, as a member of the, a member of the church, I 
think we get too caught up in, I got to be all that I can be. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we kind of take the army mantra and run with it that, you know, I, mm-hmm. I have to become perfect. And if I'm not, I'm failing. And that the failure was the plan, man. I mean, it was like, <laughs> you're going to go down there and you're going to mess up and it's going to be bad. Yeah. And I think sometimes the Lord looks down and he just snickers a little bit at, at the stupid stuff yeah. we're doing. Um, but but I think ultimately, as long as I have the Savior on my side, and, and I don't know if I've read this before on the podcast, I think I have, uh, in the Doctrine and Covenants, um, when when the Savior is our advocate, when we talk about him being our advocate, um, he isn't our advocate, you know, pointing to you and me and saying, look at all these wonderful things that, that Kyle did and that Matt did to, to earn their way into heaven. Um, but rather, um, look at what I have done, right? When, when he says, listen to the him who is the advocate with the Father, and then, and then the next verse says, saying, Father, behold, him who has done no sin, right? He points to himself. He, you're standing right there with him at the judgment, as, and he's your advocate. And on earth, we see our advocates defending us and pointing to the good things we're doing. This is his first defense. This is, you know, he's not, he's, he's come, come from a really good family and our judge, our lawyer is acting on our behalf. But that's not how the Savior does it. The Savior does it in an eternal way that is, look at me. You told me that if I would cover his sins and he believes on me, then I can cover his sins. And he does. He believes on me. So look at me, right? And just pipe, bypass Matt 100% and look at me. And as long as he is, he sees my actions enough that that I have proven that I, I want his help, um, he does it all. My actions don't do anything, mm-hmm. right? So I become through him, yeah. ultimately, and, and in reality. Yeah, well said. Yeah, good. I love it. Cool. Okay, so um, <clears throat> can I just read 19? I think this is cool, too. It speaks about our agency to do that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, this, um, well... Let me go on. Let me read it 18 too. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world and men love darkness. It's the natural man being an enemy to God, right? That mm-hmm. we, we prefer the darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth, it's interesting, doeth truth. Yeah. Right? Uh, Cometh to light, that is, his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. When we do things wrong, we want no one to know about it. When we do things right, we want everybody to know about it, right? So how frequently are you doing things you want to hide? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, yeah, it's, I, I love, and I love that, that play with light and darkness there. Yeah. Right? Just that idea like you said, of, of, you know, darkness, it covers us. It shades us. It, you know, I think of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden when they cover themselves with fig leaves, right? right? Just anytime we're trying to cover or hide ourselves from God, it, I think it teaches us about, about what we're doing and, and how we can repent, right? right yeah. And of course, Heavenly Father sees right through that. And, right. and, uh, and anyway. And yeah. how thin is the fig leaf? Yeah, I mean, right? Like we're like we're hiding anything from God. Yeah, right? that's just a, it's it's comical to me that Adam and Eve, you know, guided by the adversary, probably are 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 hiding behind a leaf. Yeah, and thinking God can't see beyond it. Yeah, like yeah. Here, take this plastic bag, right. and, and make some, a cloak out of it <laughs> yeah, to right? cover like, you, right? Yeah, and 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 
I think that's so telling that, that we do that. We do it all the time. Every time I don't say a prayer and f- ask for forgiveness of something I've done because I don't want God to know about it. Yeah. <laughs> like, like me talking about it is the only way God figures it out. <laughs> yeah, <right>? yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Thank you. Um, okay, anything else in three? that we, I want to get to four. Yeah, as you, yeah. Mm. as you know, I'm excited to get to four. Yeah. So if there's maybe, anything else you want to... Maybe one verse. Um, <clears throat> verse 30. Uh, speaking of... Well, there's kind of a story here. Um, verse 30 just says this. He must increase, but I must decrease. Right? And uh, that, that, that phrase is such a cool phrase in that for the Savior... He looked to the Father in all things, and Mm -hmm. he pointed everybody past him to the Father. Even though he was going to be the ultimate Savior of the world, he wanted people to have their relationship with God. And I wonder as a teacher sometimes if uh, I want that for my students, or do I want them to see me and I increase? You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like, Like, am I willing to say, I want the Savior to increase in followers, or do I want me to increase in followers, right? Oh, yeah. I just think that's a cool phrase is all. And this is, I mean, it's no wonder that, because right, John is the one that is speaking to the Jews, talk, you know, talking about his role as yeah. the Elias and then right. Jesus Christ coming after him. John's saying, I must decrease, but Jesus, yeah. oh, sorry, sorry. Jesus will increase, but I must decrease. Right. And it's no wonder that Jesus right. says that there wasn't a man born of woman who was greater than John. Yeah. I mean, he then follows up with, yet everyone in the kingdom of heaven is better than that. Right, so, yeah. but, <laughs> but but you just can sit, like, talk about a disciple who has been transformed to the right. atoning power of Jesus Christ. John the Baptist, gaining his followers, you know, becoming popular, and then saying, he must increase and I must decrease. Like, yeah. He was just so willing to let go of anything that he had gained from yeah. his preaching and prophesying to let the, the Savior of the world take yeah. his role. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And, and I, think that, I think it's telling that the Savior himself even pointed people through him, but to God. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah, he does the same thing, but with Heavenly Father. Yeah, the, the, the Nephites kneel and pray not to him, and he instructs them, pray to the yeah. Father. Yeah. Right? Talk to God. He's your dad. He's the one that, I'm going to help you, but th- he's the guy you need to thank. And, and you know. Which, yeah, and, you know, I, I, I think about that teaching from the Savior and those examples that he gave, and it's just um, the 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 honor that our Savior showed towards Heavenly Father as someone who's perfected like God. Yeah. He's part of the Godhead with right. Heavenly Father, right? And yet, I mean, if, if anyone has a bro or friendly relationship with Heavenly <laughs> Father, it's our Savior Jesus <laughs> yeah, Christ, right? right? Yeah. Like they, they're unified, like they're perfected sure. in one, right? right. And anyway, it just, um, I, I've just had such sacred experiences as I've, tried to make sure that my language in prayer uh, maintains a reverent tone and and a sacred, and just like a sacred reverence um, way of spe- manner of speaking with yeah. our Heavenly Father. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, 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 love, I love the idea that Jesus is our brother and our friend, and I think those are all great words to describe Him mm-hmm. and, and titles that He would even love that we use to, to help us understand our relationship with Him. But there's also so much more that is sacred and holy about right. him that, that I've just noticed as I've, as I've tried to use that language that maybe isn't natural for me, but more sacred and reverent tone, yeah. I felt like my relationship with him has gotten deeper and more personal. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I would invite those of you that 
uh, are trying to connect deeper in your relationship through prayer to the Father. Um, and, and even those that kind of wonder, why do I pray to the Father when Christ did everything? Yeah. Like, why, why am I going to God and can't, should I be talking to Christ and asking him for, yeah. for forgiveness? He's the yeah, one that's sure. right. Yeah. You know, I think there's some questions there that are good. But I would invite everybody that has those thoughts and feelings and that wants to improve their um, language and the feeling they have during prayer that's a little, that becomes a little more uh, sanctified. Yeah. To watch uh, the very first question of a face-to-face that Elder Holland and Elder Eyring did, President Eyring. Um, I don't know, four or five years ago. If you just if you just Google searched a face to face Irene, right, you get it. And the very first question has to do with prayer. And I love the interaction that they have too. It's it's just cool to watch. They're they're sitting in two chairs, kind of right next to each other, and they're leaned over towards each other and like hand on a knee and hand on an arm, yeah, and they're yeah. just they're just so connected. And and uh, the way that they respond to that question about prayer is effectively. I wish people really understood who they were speaking to. Mm. If they could see them and understand who it is that they're talking to, they would do it in a different way. Yeah. And they get a little more specific than I'm going to do here because I, I don't want to quote them incorrectly. In, in, in right. But, but they're pretty clear. And it's pretty evident when you're looking at two apostles speak about who you're talking to that they have had experiences that they can teach me very clearly yes. what level I should be at when I'm in my yeah. prayers, right? Right. So so that's worth your time. If you've got some time and that's something you're working on and working through in your life is is getting to God and really understanding your relationship there, uh, that, that face-to-face might help you in that. Yeah, for so. sure. Cool. Okay. Chapter four. John Chapter four. Chapter four. Can you, can you just, I like, oh my gosh, just, there's so <laughs> much to unpack here with <laughs> the woman of Samaria, right? Um, and, and fill in any gaps that yeah, I miss true, here, Matt. True. I mean, this I'll, is going to be a fluid conversation. But I just like, is this, okay, so so the Jews and Samaritans hate each other, right? Yep, you can yep. um, go back to Ezra to read, you know, Ezra chapter one, like one through 10. Yep. And you read, so the Jews come back from Babylonian exile and the Samaritans had uh, been implanted from when the Assyrians were taken right. in, you know, like 800 BC, right? Yep, so 800 yep. BC, the Northern kingdoms are conquered and... There are these implants of Samaritans, or that's what they become known as. And then in 600 BC, the southern kingdom is taken to Babylon, and then they eventually return. And at this time when they return under the Persian Empire, the Jews start rebuilding the temple. Yeah. And the Samaritans... That's Nehemiah, right? Nehemiah is... Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, remember from Old Testament uh, last year, right? And so the Samaritans are there now, and they're saying, uh, hey... We want to help build the temple. You know, there were Jews left behind. They had right. taught the faith. These these you know Gentiles had yep. been brought in. They'd actually been converted to the Jewish faith, and they want to help the Jews build the temple. And the Jews say no. Yeah. And yeah. and so thus and and so then the Samaritans they start um, making it harder for the Jews to build the temple, and right. thus begins a century long yeah. hatred yeah. between these people. So much so that Jews. Um, when walking from Judea to Galilee, so it's Judea in the south, and then Samaria, and then Galilee to the north. So it's yep. just kind of boom, boom, boom. Yep. So when walking from Judea to Galilee, or, or the other way, they would walk, instead of walking through Samaria, they'd walk around it. They'd have miles <laughs> to the trip. Just, they don't <laughs> even not... want to set foot on the land. <laughs> and so in verse 4, we read, he must needs go through Samaria. Why? Yeah, that's, <laughs> right? yeah. Right. Well, he's talking to his disciples too, right? Yeah. 
he left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. I think there are other de de descriptions of this where he's telling them, I need to go through. I yeah. need to go through there. And we yeah. know why, and yeah. we'll get to why, really, just in this beautiful in a moment. Yeah. But um, I, th I think it comes down to this woman at the well. Yeah. And I just, so she's breaking the law of chastity. She is um, disgraced as a result of that, right? Mm -hmm. She's going, um, where does it say? In verse six, it's about the sixth hour. So you have to think Jewish time was from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Mm -hmm. So the sixth hour was from 6 a.m., six hours noon. So it's the hottest part of the day. Yep. And uh, she probably went during that time because no one else was going at that time, yep. right? For, for specific reasons, probably that she didn't want to be socially with those people because she was maybe a little bit of a pariah in her own community Yep. for the things that maybe were going on in her life, mm -hmm. right? And, uh, and, and w which we learn a little bit about here, right? That, that the Savior points to. And so she's there at the worst possible time. Oh, it's just so hot. Yeah. Right, so, so hot. And her self-worth has just got to be, I mean, if, if you've ever, ever felt, and you're like, and for the listeners, I guess, if you ever felt like you didn't belong, like you were worthless, mm -hmm. you know what this woman was feeling right now. Yeah. And now here comes this rabbi, yeah. this teacher. Yeah. Right? And he starts talking, a Jew. And you can, just, you can just imagine the Samaritan woman like, okay, who, who is this guy? Right? Like, yeah. isn't it like the one, like, I'm supposed to be here alone. And now this guy comes asking for water, asking for, and anyway, I just, hmm. it, it's almost comical to me to just think about like when she first sees Jesus, like her attitude must have just been like, yeah. okay, dude, dude, can you just back, like, <laughs> just take a step back for a minute. All right. Like. Yeah. First off, he's a Jewish guy. Yeah. Yeah, I don't need your yeah. input here into my life, right? Second of all, he's a rabbi. Right? So so really, um, Jesus, so he should have, as a Jew, he should have hated her for who she was as right. a Samaritan. And as a teacher of the law, he should have hated her for who she was as a sinner. Right. Like just culturally speaking, yeah. right? Which Without knowing what she was actually doing in her life, right? Yeah. Yeah, just by default, a Samaritan is a sinner, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah exactly. Okay. So uh, we get her sitting there at the well, verse 7. Um, her disi his disciples had all gone away into the city to buy meat, so they're all off in the, in the grocery mm -hmm. store. Um, then he, he asks her for water in verse 7, and then this, the woman speaks to him in verse 9. Uh, then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? Right? I mean, like mm -hmm. there's all kinds of... For the mm -hmm. Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knowest, if thou know it, knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldst have asked, thou, thou wouldst have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Yeah. You wouldn't be asking me any questions other than let me help you. Yeah. Right? Help you you help me, right? That would be your questions. And I, I think it's important to point out in verse nine, she calls him a Jew. Yeah. And I guess just to kind of look at the end from the beginning here, this story is so powerful to me because in verse 9, she calls him a Jew, hmm. and then she starts calling him sir, and then she starts calling him a prophet, and then she ultimately ends with calling him the Messiah. Hmm. And so this woman who, you know, it starts off a little rocky, maybe a little sarcastic, maybe a little like, get out of my face, mm -hmm. right? Um, it starts there, and in however long this conversation took, I don't know how long that is, but Jesus, like, has been the theme of this whole podcast. He transforms their relationship. Yeah. And 
And anyway, I just like as we as we read through it, listeners, you, you might just consider some relationships that you have that uh, or just consider some of the people that uh, are very hard for you to love yeah. or who have wronged you in a serious way or are manipulative or, or toxic or or yeah. whatever the case may be. Right. Because Jesus is able to transform this relationship in a way that really only he can, I suppose. But yeah. But I think that as we emulate him more and, and maybe even learn from him from this little story here, we can learn how to transform our own relationships as well. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Let's keep reading. So uh, the woman's still not understanding, mm-hmm. right? Uh, says um, effectively, uh, the well's pretty deep and you don't have a dipping thing. Yeah. So how are you going to get, what, what, do you, what, yeah. what, what are you asking for, right? Uh, how, would I, how would you give me water, right, is effectively mm-hmm. what she's getting to. He says, art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever, go ahead. Yeah, just let me pause it. Like, did he answer her question? No, not really. No, he didn't, no, right? Not, not. Which, which is just interesting, right? Like, like why? why? So she asks, art thou greater than our father Jacob? And his response was, if you drink of the water I give, you'll, oh, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. Yeah, right? Yeah. So he, does, he, does, he just ignores the, the question that is yeah. a pretty obvious question, right? Yeah, yeah. So far, at least. Yeah. It, but then verse 14, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. So I guess he does answer it indirectly, right? Yeah. yeah. Not explicitly, but, right. okay, so if Jacob can give you a well that you drink and you thirst again, and I can give you a well that you drink and you never thirst again, I guess it's, who's, who's greater? Right, yeah, yeah, you answer the question, right? Yeah, then, yeah, exactly. 15, then the woman saith unto him, sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Right, like she's still in the yeah. physical, like, okay, so you, you know, she's like, dipping sweet. Cup. Yeah, do <laughs> it, the man. walker every day? What are you yeah. talking about, right? Then verse six, Jesus saith unto her, go call thy husband and come hither. And sorry, real quick oh, before we point. Yeah. So verse 15, she's calling him sir now. Yeah. Just for the record, right? right yeah. So so something in this interaction is changing. Yeah. And I'll I'll be bold enough to assume that that whereas she may have come at him with a little bit of a potentially, you know, a little bit of a snippy angsty kind of yeah. Yeah. Um he's he's responding with calmness. He's uh not buying into, you know, Maybe verse 12, art thou greater than our father Jacob, was a question kind of meant to stir up contention. Maybe. Doesn't bite on it, yeah. right? And, and I just think about last time we talked about politics at my Thanksgiving dinner table. <laughs> and if I had acted more like the Savior, right, maybe maybe there would have been a little better sure. yeah. uh, interaction there. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's good. I, I think the cultural angst that existed between... Mm-hmm. then th- this naturally should have probably been a little bit less of a yeah. cordial interaction, right? Yeah, so to say sure. sir is, is becoming... Yeah. Um, so Jesus says in 16, Jesus saith unto her, go call thy husband and come hither. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, thou hast well said, I have no husband. Uh, for thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. And the... In that saidst thou truly. Yeah you, yeah, you don't have a husband. You're right. You've had five, and the guy you got right now isn't your husband. So. Can you imagine? Like, what are you Ooh. thinking if you're that woman and yeah. this guy you've never met, some Jewish guy, talking about... What, right. What's going through your mind when he says that to you? 
I think I think what goes what would go through a person's mind back then without knowing who the Savior was, versus knowing what we know about the story, yeah, sure. right? That that he knew her, he knew so well what she needed to have help with. Yeah. But in the moment, um, astonishment for sure. Yeah. Some guilt, some shame. Um, mm. But look at the next verse, because the next verse yep. says exactly what happens. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. So, <clears throat> and it kind of goes to what you were speaking about before, where the Savior's interaction with her is so good that the the feelings of, of uh, harm and hurt and the things that should have existed in this cultural discussion mm -hmm. weren't present. Mm -hmm. And so, when that's true, the Spirit just confirms who this is sitting in front of you. Right? That there, there's no... When, when you can eliminate the contention and truth is spoken, even if it's hurtful truth, the Spirit confirms something and teaches you that this is right. But when it's done in a way that is contentious, even if it's right, the Spirit can't be in the room, and yeah. so there's no convincing witness, right? And you just, in this whole story, you see Jesus, and throughout his whole life, right, just refusing to, to be contentious. To yeah, yeah. And I think that's so important. I think there's such a... Such an important lesson here that that when we're contentious, even when we're right, the Spirit won't confirm to the other person that I'm right. Yeah. And so we're never going to get anywhere. I think about my conversations with my wife, where I just fight for my perspective, which I think is right, right? <laughs> and it is, Matt. Yeah, thank worry. you. It I is. think it yeah. is too. Right. <laughs> thank you for that. I'll tell her. Kyle said <laughs> Yeah. Well, don't tell her that. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Um, you know, I, I think it's right, and and yet the way I'm going about it is so harmful that the Spirit can't be there. It could never teach her, hey, think about this, that, that Matt's saying it this way, and this is his perspective, and teach her is probably the wrong word, but help her understand it from my perspective, right? Because sure. my wife's so good. She understands things on such a different level than I do, um, because of being a woman and understanding it from her perspective is uh -huh. by default. She's going to understand it differently, but she's so careful i'm not i just blunder into stuff but my perspective is real right it's it's maybe not always true it's maybe not always god's perspective but it's a, it's a real perspective and i think there i think there's just something here that the savior has dis, has eliminated the contention that could have existed in the conversation and then as soon as he speaks hard truth the person on the other on the receiving end is not contentious and hears the truth accepts it and they move together forward yeah, right? maybe there's an answer to, to me and in, in how I it, it maybe need to be working with my wife differently when we have contentious thoughts and conversations. Yeah, and I I also you know something um, you said earlier that really stood out to me is you know what what was you feeling when Jesus says this to her and astonishment. Yeah, uh, and then you also had guilt and shame on there. Sure, and I just thought about this transformation that's happening in this relationship. So Jew could be synonymous with an enemy. Yep. Sir could be synonymous with a friend. Yep. Prophet is something higher than a friend. Yeah. Leader. Uh, yeah, yeah, leader. Yeah. And eventually we'll get to Messiah. And I think it's interesting, like, I think that, so she obviously recognizes now he's a prophet, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I perceive that there are prophets. Like she says it in her own words. And, and I think that there might have still been room for guilt and shame but at the end of the story, she's going to sprint back to her city and tell everyone that she just met Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So something tells me that mm. that guilt and shame isn't there anymore. Because I, I felt guilt and shame before, and 
enthusiasm, excitement, guilt and shame don't mm. usually share the same apartment. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> and so, um, and so, anyway, I just think as we keep on reading about this interaction, I, I, I'm, I'm just going to be kind of looking for okay, what, what does she experience with the Savior that causes her guilt and shame to go away? Yeah, okay. So let me keep reading. You stop me. Um, woman says, I perceive that thou art a prophet in verse 19. Verse 20 says, our father worshiped in this mountain and ye, Jacob would be who they're speaking of, right? Mm -hmm. And ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the father. Maybe just a little con contextual note. So, when the Jews refused to let the Samaritans build the temple, they built their own temple yeah. um, near this location. And during the Hasmonean Revolt, uh, the Jews destroyed the Samaritan temple. So they don't have a temple anymore. Yeah. And it would have been common for a teacher of that time, almost to, in a way to elevate themselves above the Samaritans, say, oh, well, you can't worship God unless you come to the temple. Yeah. And you got to come to Jerusalem to do that. Yeah. And the Samaritans aren't allowed in Jerusalem. They're yeah, not welcome right, to Jerusalem. Yeah, right. right. So... <laughs> So anyway, they're kind of in this spot where you can just kind of feel like her, in verse 20, our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say, then Jerusalem is the place for men ought to worship. I don't know that Jesus said that to her, but right. teachers. Ye Jews. As a Jew, right, as yeah. a teacher, right? Yeah. They they say this, and you can almost just feel um, like she, she may have felt abandoned. Yeah. Uh, from everyone in her life, her past husbands, yeah. her her culture, her community. And and now even God, we're learning she feels abandoned from by. Yeah, because because the, the, the if if you line up what's gone on in the conversation, she's asking a secondary question now, right? The, mm -hmm. the 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 catching her living in sin, and identifying it is not the thing she's talking about. She's saying, "I know I'm living in sin, and you're a prophet, so help me understand this. I can't go worship there. Our fathers worshipped in this place." Where am, I, where am I supposed to, how do I fix my life? In fact, where do I learn? Yeah. Right? Is, is really where she's going. And then he says in verse 22, ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. So he's a little bit ratifying the belief that the Samaritans don't have the full understanding of what they need. The Jewish people have it better, and there's a temple there, where you, mm -hmm. which is what you need. So there's a little bit of ratifying of the the history of where the priesthood ex at least ex exists, mm -hmm. right? But then in verse 23, but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit. Now, there's probably some stuff we need to unpack here, right? Mm -hmm. Verse 24, the Joseph Smith translation automatically helps us understand that differently. For unto such hath God promised his spirit, and they who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. I don't know when or where the translations of this verse were altered and modified, Seems to me that 300 and some odd years after Christ's life, when the uh, the councils were held about the the makeup of the Trinity, um, that you know God was decided to be all three, and sure, you know sure. Th this was not how Christ lived, and he he didn't teach it that way, he didn't understand it that way. The people of his day didn't understand 
God being separate from Christ, being separate from the Holy Ghost. He, he, he they thought of them as three separate beings, and so yeah. this would not have been how it was would have would have been written down originally. And the Joseph Smith translation helps us understand that, right? Yeah, yeah, well said, and and I love um, in like that phrase, right, uh, in verse twenty three. Um, the, but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship Him. Mm. And um, oh, sure, I lost another little one. Uh, oh, the hour, verse twenty-one. The hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the mm -hmm. Father. And I don't, I don't think that Jesus. Obviously, I don't think this because we we worship a temple still today, right? So yeah. Jesus isn't saying that the ordinance of the temple or the temples are are going to be gone yeah. for the rest of time. Yeah. But um, I have a quote here from Elder McConkie that teaches about worship that I think sheds a lot of light on the situation. So he says, true and perfect worship consists in following in the steps of the Son of God. It consists in keeping the commandments and obeying the will of the Father to that degree that we advance from grace to grace until we are glorified in Christ as he is in his Father. It is far more than prayer and sermon and song. It is living and doing and obeying. It is emulating the life of the great exemplar. Mm. And so I let, it is far more than prayer and sermon and song, and I'll add temples. Yeah. It's, it's far more than the Book of Mormon. It's far more than Seminary Institute. Yep. All these things that we do, their goal is the same. Their goal is to bring us closer to the Savior mm -hmm. by receiving revelation. Right. And so revelation and, yeah. and coming closer to the Savior, like that is worship. Yeah. Was it... Uh... Elder Bednar in some training on Sabbath day training years ago, maybe eight years ago now, 2015, um, said all that we do in the church is to make available the ordinances necessary and the understanding needed to return to our Father in heaven. End of story, period, we're done. And then he goes on to teach some more about Sabbath day. But, but everything we do, everything we learn, every program, every organization, every every aspect of the temple is to help me accomplish an understanding that will help me get back and obtain the necessary ordinances needed to get back and to yeah. be with Heavenly Father. And so, so he's definitely not doing away with those things, but recognizing, and maybe in a very similar way, saying mm -hmm. everything I'm teaching, everything that is about the church yeah. is spirit. Yeah. It's all about you understanding you. And, and I might, you might even say it's about receiving the spirit, feeling yeah. the spirit. Right. Coming closer to the spirit. Yeah, yeah. It's all about spirit, or as Jesus says, um, spirit and truth. Yeah. Words of the Father in spirit and truth. Yeah. And then the woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. And then, how cool is this? Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. I mean, like, I... It is not very often in Christ's life that he straight up just tells somebody, I'm the Messiah. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. He, he doesn't just run, he doesn't put it on his shirt out in the front, right? He's not, it's not a name tag. Yep. It's, uh, it's, it's very uncommon that he just leads with it. But that's what he says with her. And from that, um, upon this came his disciples. His disciples come back from the store. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you mind if I No, go, go. Yeah, sorry, go. And just, uh, just something to consider if you read it is, what do we learn about this woman that as far as we, um, you know, like you just said, in the few times that Jesus manifests himself directly as I am the Messiah, this is one of them. Right. 
and potentially the first time yeah. that he, in a direct way, says, I, yeah. I don't know about that, but potentially, right? Yeah, for sure. Well, At least the first we have account of, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so 27 through 29. Yeah. So he, so he goes, he tells her that the disciples kind of walk up, have him come back from the, mm -hmm. the grocery store, buying up meat. And they marveled and, in verse 27. They marveled that he yeah. talked with the woman. He's like, whoa, they're like, Christ, <laughs> yeah. you know who that is you're talking to, right? That's kind of what they say. Um, marvel that he walked, that he talked with a woman yet. No man said, who seekest thou or why talkest thou with her? So, so they come up, they're like, Whoa. Yeah. And then they're like, they don't say anything. Yeah, they're like, right. <laughs> right. And I, I love the, I love the, the chosen again, because it's portraying. And, and you said this earlier that it's portraying the disciples and the, the apostles as very real approachable people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it was before we hit record, but, but you'd mentioned that, you know, the, 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 the story, the, the, the chosen is really more of a sitcom, right? Where, where we're learning about, it's not Christ's, it's, it's Christ's experience told through the lens of these kind of oddball apostles that all have their own little foibles and fallacies, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Anyway, so um, the woman then left her water pot, that yeah. thing that was so important at the beginning, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and went her way into the city and said to the men, come see a man which told me all things that ever I did is not this Christ. Then they went out of the city and came unto him. So this place that was so not, should not have been a, rec a receivable place for Christ, right? It should not have been a place where mm -hmm. Christ was welcomed uh, becomes perhaps the first place that people came out to see him and, and learn from him. And one of the more faithful cities that we read about in the yeah, scriptures, right? right? They, they received him better than you know, some of the Jewish cities, yeah, ironically. Right. Prophet, not a prophet in his own land, maybe. Yeah, right? yeah. Well, this, this is just such a cool, there's so much in these chapters to cover, and, and this has been so cool. Uh, is there something else that I cut you off there? Yeah, just to come full circle with this woman, I, I love this story um, because it, it really shows that no matter who we are, right, Jew Samaritan, no matter what we've done, teacher, you know, rabbi, sinner, mm -hmm. Jesus Christ loves us. Yeah. He, he manifests himself to this woman. Yeah. Directly in a way that that very few experienced yeah. while Jesus Christ on the earth and I think it says a lot about the woman And I also think it's an important lesson for us that he will manifest himself to us no matter who we are yeah. And no matter what we've done. Yeah, and and, and maybe f looking forward There's another woman uh, that he speaks with Who he teaches I'm not here to teach you Right, I've come to teach a different group of people and, mm -hmm. and so almost refuses to teach her eventually he does but you know, the same, same, same type of woman from the same city uh, later, he says, I'm not really here to teach you, you know. He, so he has this experience here, loves everybody equally, but, um, but, but uh, ultimate purpose is to help those, you know, build the church and, and yeah. begin the church down yeah. in Jerusalem. Wonderful. Um, in, in verse 39, I think we just skip over. Uh, Many of the Samaritans of the city believed on him, for they saying of the woman which testified, he told me all that ever I did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days, and many more believed because of his word, his own words. So there were some that believed on the words of the woman and were converted. Yeah. That was all it took. Yep. But there were others who required a personal like experience with the Savior. Sure. It, it, to me, it's Nephi and Sam, yeah. right? Nephi needed to have his own vision of his dad's experience, uh, the dream. He needed to see the same dream. 
And then he goes to Sam. He says, I had the same vision. I had the same dream. And Sam's like, cool, I'm in. I mm-hmm. totally believe you, right? And not that Sam didn't ever ask for that, but but sometimes some of us need a little bit more. And Heavenly Father knows that about us, right? Yeah. And is willing to give us what we need there. Um, and then 42, uh, and many more believe because of his own words, is 41, and said unto the woman, now we believe, not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, right? And know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Maybe maybe harkens back to what John said, that that I must decrease and, and he must increase, right? That, yeah. That I, I, I love that I learned this from you, woman, but I've had my own experience now. Sure. My testimony yeah. is not built on you. Um, my and it's probably us with our parents, right? As we grow up, um, we need to have our own experiences. Yeah. We need they to, must decrease, and the Savior must increase yeah, in exactly. our lives. But but they're put in our lives early on so that we have that converting witness and that converting experience. Sure. But we eventually need to get to our own, yeah. uh, which I think is super important in our in our processes there. So, okay, anything to finish out John chapter four? Um, yeah, just I guess one little plug here for teaching seminary yeah. that I just loved in verse. Uh, 35 and 36 okay. he's teaching the apostles and he says say not ye there are yet four months and then come at the harvest be able to say unto you lift up your eyes and look on the fields for they are white already to harvest mm. can you imagine the apostles eye? they're like uh, yeah, no, but actually they're not yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually there's nothing even on the ground yet. yeah actually <laughs> yes but but of course he's not talking about wheat he's talking about souls and yeah. in verse 36 he says and he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. Mm. And uh, obviously a famous verse um, in Doctrine and Covenants 18, and if it so be that you should labor all your days in crime repentance of this people and bring save it be one soul unto me, how great shall be your joy with him in the kingdom of my Father. Mm. And now if your joy will be great with one soul that you have brought unto me in the kingdom of my Father, how great will be your joy if you should bring many souls unto me. Mm. And I... I just and Matt, maybe maybe you can even add a little bit of of your own experience teaching seminary and and this idea that um, there's just something I I think all careers are awesome I mean really and yeah. obviously we want to do the Lord's will but mm-hmm. and there's just something so special about this idea that our job is to connect with and gather an entire generation of youth to Jesus Christ yeah. like that that's it that's our yeah. job description and and if if any listeners out there just have this this yearning to help the youth and young adults of, of the world, not just the church, but of the world, mm-hmm. to gather to Jesus Christ and, and mentor them and help them and help them connect with the Savior, receive revelation. you got to come talk to me because yeah. there are jobs available to, to help that happen. Yeah, and I would, even, I would even go a little farther with that and say, <clears throat> even if that's not your desire, um, you know, if I was super honest when I, when I first started teaching, not for the church, I was a, a choir director in public schools, um, when I first started teaching, my desire was not really uh, to help the youth. <laughs> I just, I just yeah. wanted to be a teacher because yeah, I was yeah, good at that yeah, thing, and that's yeah, what I wanted yeah. to teach, right? And and I don't know that I had a desire to help the youth, but but I think there is a bigger group of people who see what the youth are dealing with today and are concerned for them and have some insights, have some capacity, some experience that they feel like really could help. Uh, the people around them, they have some skill set they were born with. And I think that's where I was at. I was like, I don't know why, but like, I'm a good teacher and I, I'm going to go be yeah. a teacher. I'm going to learn well how to said. be better, right? But yeah. And and so I don't know that it always starts with the desire to, that you have this like passion for the youth and that you love the youth. And I don't know that that's always the case, but it becomes that way when you focus your skills and the talents God's given you. 
into recognizing how to help them through their life, right? Yeah, thanks and, for sharing that. Yeah, I think that's a really important component of that. And and maybe just like just like we've seen here um, with this woman and maybe tying these two ideas together, the gospel doesn't take four months to, to like grow in someone, right? Mm -hmm. This woman was just just barely taught who the Savior was and instantly was ready to be harvested. Right, the, the 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 planting of the seed and the ready to be harvested can be moments different. Yep. And I think it, it becomes our responsibility, those of us that have been blessed with skills and talents or desires, to help and lift and and uh, support the especially the youth and young people of our generation and these generations today. If we have that at all, we have any capacity and skill set to do that. That we need to have the 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 training. To really know how to do it correctly, um, in a way that is faith promoting and not faith damaging, mm -hmm. um, in whatever capacity we're, we want that, right? Whether yeah. it's my calling or it's my uh, as a job, right? Yeah. And I, I love that at the beginning you said that this your four seventy one class is really designed to help everybody mm -hmm. be a better gospel teacher, yeah. right? And I love that invitation. I love that it's tied in here. Co maybe not coincidentally the day we yeah. do this together, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Brother, this has been fantastic. What a wonderful message. Uh, messages. There's so much in here. And there's even, I don't know, under 30 verses, 40, 40 verses maybe we could have covered uh, I, in this Yeah, chapter, it's just, so. there was so much yeah. uh, in John 2 through 4. Yeah. And honestly, I think we're going to see that through all of John, right? right. John is... It's written to a different Accident, audience than the right? other three. And it's yeah. it's just a little, it's a little deeper, a little denser sometimes. Love it. Uh, Brother Lyons, if there was a closing message, something you would share with the young adults of the of the church, or really anybody out there, we got we have listeners, I think, of all ages. Um, if there was something that's on your heart lately that you just wanted people to know, yeah, uh, what would that be? Uh, turn to Jesus Christ, and He will transform you into a being more capable of feeling and receiving joy. Mm, beautiful, I love it, brother. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. We'll see you next time. Yep. Thank you.